We now sum up our consideration of the question, what do we know about the omniscience of God from the biblical revelation that God on a number of occasions is said to have repented or changed his mind concerning things which he had done or had planned to do. We can only conclude from the use of the word repent some 33 times in the Old Testament where God is said to have regretted things that he had done, notably the creation of man, is said to have pronounced judgment and in the process of carrying it forth repented of it and stayed his hand, is said to have formed purposes of judgment and sent forth prophets to declare its certainty, modifying these purposes in response to the people's repentance or prophets' intercession, we can only in conclude from all this that all things are not known beforehand as certainties and that God's being is such that he brings forth new actions and modifies former decisions. This is certainly an evident conclusion from these many passages which we have read. But certain objections are raised to these simple interpretations from some passages of Scripture and from the whole idea of literalness in these statements about God's thoughts and actions. For example, Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 is brought up to contradict what we have said. Let us read that. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And so this account refers back to Balak and Balaam. Balak was king of Moab, and he greatly feared being conquered by Israel and contacted Balaam and hoped to obtain an evil prophecy against Israel, which would be favorable to him. Balaam was a heathen diviner who possessed some truth and favored the Israelites. He tried several times with increased inducements to persuade Balaam, who each time appealed to God. Finally, God gave to Balak through the mouth of Balaam the words that he was not like a man in the sense that he might lie or be expected to lie, nor like the frail mortal offspring of men, so that he could be easily persuaded to change his mind and not fulfill his many promises to bless Abram's seed and to prosper them. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? These phrases of this verse are certainly a key to the understanding of the whole. The moral attribute of the absolute dependence in God is contrasted with the absence of dependability in man. We might paraphrase this verse. It is no use, Balak, for you to continue your efforts. I am not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man 
that I should be persuaded to repent in this matter. And so certainly this verse need not be made to contradict the plain statement of the Word of God that God is said to have made certain purposes and plans and repented of them. And after all, it's not said that he could not repent, but only that he should not repent or would not be easily persuaded to repent. Another verse that is brought into this discussion is 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 29, where we read, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Let us remember that this verse appears in a context where God is said twice over to have repented. For example, in verse 11, we are told, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And in verse 35, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repenteth that he had made Saul king over Israel. And so it is plainly declared that God did repent. And certainly this verse cannot be made to teach that God cannot repent when twice over it is stated in the same chapter that he did. It is important to note that it is not said in this passage that God could not repent, but only that in this instance he would not repent. Notice that the words lie and repent are linked together. When Saul was told in verse 23 that he had been rejected as king, he refused to accept it as final and tried to get Samuel's fellowship again and continue as king. We may paraphrase Samuel's answer thus, You need not doubt the truthfulness or the certainty of the message that I have given you from the Lord, as he will not lie nor repent in this matter. He then referred to the thoroughness in which God comes to his decisions as distinguished from the haphazard manner in which men so often arrive at theirs. No new argument, Saul, that you can bring will cause God to change his decision, which was made in full view of all the circumstances. God is not like a man to be swayed by emotional appeal. And so God already had rent the kingdom from Saul, and this verse certainly cannot be made and need not be made to contradict the plain statement that God had repented of this whole matter of appointing Saul to be king. Other verses that are brought into this discussion appear in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, where we read, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And in James, in the New Testament, chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. From these passages it is affirmed that God does not have any succession in his actions and in his personalities, or that God does not 
change in the sense of having successive thoughts and decisions. Now certainly this cannot be maintained from the Bible. This, these passages involved have to do with the goodness of God. As in Psalm 119, 68, we read, Thou art good, and doest good. And in 1 John 4, 8, we read that God is love. And so the thought is that while man oscillates in his love, God does not. Certainly they cannot be made to say that God has no succession of thoughts, emotions, or actions in his essence, as this would flatly contradict the whole tenor of Scripture, which presents God as violently changing his attitude toward man, and is experiencing states of deep complacency and of violent righteous anger. Lastly, it is affirmed that the Bible contains many anthropomorphisms, and that this is one of them. The word anthropomorphism describes a human characteristic as though it pertained to God, although it actually does not. The whole characteristic of these human characteristics is that they are plainly understandable as such. For example, it is said that God possesses many members that we have in our bodies. For example, that God has eyes, ears, mouth, arm, hands, and so forth. Whereas we know that God is a spirit, and therefore that these are obvious figures for more vivid understanding of God. But when God describes the inner functioning of his personality, which we associate with the realm of personality and its spiritual essence, this is an entirely different matter. God nowhere intimates that these inner descriptions of his thoughts, reactions, and actions are not to be understood literally. He merely states that he did thus and so. If this principle of theorizing away the plain statements about the nature of God is going to be allowed, where shall the end be? But how natural to accept these plain statements at face value, which are not only in harmony with the very activity of personality, but manifest with great thrill the very essence of God and make prayer really worthwhile. We can only conclude from these passages that the Bible pictures God as having performed acts and made decisions that he later, under different circumstances, often seemingly unexpected, repented of, or deeply regretted. To the simple-minded, these revelations would seem to indicate that God did not foreknow with absolute certainty what would be the outcome of his choices, acts, or threatenings. If God acquired nothing new, as to the free acts of his moral creatures who were made in his own image, and therefore all future facts were before him as he acted in a given case, how could God ever change his mind or express sorrow that he had acted as he did? Further, if God knew beforehand whether he would execute his threatenings or not, he cannot be made to speak truthfully when he states that he is going to bring certain judgments to pass, and then repents and does not bring them. If he always knew that he would not, how could he say 
that he would. From the plain statements of the word of God, it appears that God experiences definite changes in his states of mind and makes new decisions when new circumstances arise. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do certainly thank Thee for the vivid picture Thou hast given us in Thy Word, that Thou art a God that does respond to the prayer and humiliation of Thy creatures, that Thou art a God who will repent of Thy pronounced judgments when man repents of his attitude. And how we thank Thee for this, that Thou art a God who art interested in us, and dost love us beyond all measure, that thou art a God that art perfectly constant in thy love and tenderness. O may many this day heed thy pleading, come to thee in repentance, look to the cross of Jesus Christ by faith, receive forgiveness of sin and the abundance of thy blessing as they go on to serve thee through this life and live with thee forever. In Jesus' name our Savior. Amen.